Happy Friday. Welcome to the Mike McEntee Show. You've survived another week of the Trump administration. Congratulations. Hey, coming up on today's show, an app that fights back against police brutality. You know how cell phone video recordings have been key in changing the debate about racism and police action? They can provide a you know real protection to citizens, but only if there is a camera rolling. A St. Paul inventor has come up with an app that can make that happen, and we're going to talk to him about that. But first, we talk about Donald Trump a lot on this program, and so does the rest of the world. We're kind of in the fishbowl that is the United States, but how does the rest of the world view what's been going on here since the last election? Well, to get an answer to that, I recently recorded a TV interview with former CIA officer and world traveler Jack Rice. It's great to be here, and uh, I'm thrilled to have the opportunity. One of the things I think that's been bugging us all since the uh, 2018 election has been America's standing in the world now that Donald Trump is in charge. We've seen uh, we, we've seen all sorts of erratic behavior, obviously, on Trump from everything from tariffs to threatening war. And we've always been seen as the world's leader, at least the leader of the free world. You've had a chance to actually travel the world since Trump's become president. How is the world viewing us? Well, not very well. I mean, I think it depends. There okay. are some parts of the world that that might actually see us and see us in, in a much different light. I, I think if we go back a little bit, and I can look after 9-11, and I think that's when we started to see the shift. Because before that time, the United States seemed to have a, or at least wanted to have a philosophical view that we had certain obligations. We had a certain role, certain things that we were going to do. As sort of leader of the free world, we felt that we had this, this concept of supporting something called the rule of law the idea of supporting humanitarian issues and believing in what that meant because that was a core value of the United States. But then after 9-11, we seemed to shift, and you can look back at uh, some of President Bush's uh, leadership at the time and some of his supporters who talked about the Geneva Conventions as quaint, hmm. and that was the term that they used then. And I think that was really, in many ways, that thin end of the wedge. You started seeing more and more and more of this until we started getting someplace that really didn't reflect who we were as a people. Now, if we sort of fast forward into where Donald Trump is, what I have seen is many people in the world saying, you know what, he simply reflects what you guys are. Hmm. He simply reflects what you guys are. And, and i got to be honest with you, Mike, because what makes me sad about that is I've spent decades around the world. I'm talking uh, Asia, Southeast Asia, all over the Middle East, all over Africa, Russia, all over Europe, etc., South America. And, and, and what I can tell you is, is, is I tried to argue that we are not the quintessential ugly American. But the problem is, and it kills me to say it, is that I think what he reflects is exactly that. And I have people looking at me now, and this is within the last couple of months, saying, yes, you are. Hmm. I want to go back because uh, when we talk about uh, how we've treated the other countries in the world and how we've tried to be humanitarian. I think of, I think of uh, you know, Reagan, and I think of uh, what happened in Latin America. I think of uh, the Shah of Iran. I think of where we've been supporting regimes that have, are no way humanitarian. So I think the case can be made that this has been going on for quite some time. Well, see, actually, I agree with you completely. I mean, that's, that's, that's the dichotomy of this, I think, is that... You can look at what the United States does historically. So I can take you back to the 50s and before, but really when we started taking this, this dramatic leadership role post-World War II. And, and what we have seen is that the United States loves dictators. Now, people are, are going to be uncomfortable with that, except for the fact is it's the truth. And we can support that. You can go back to uh, our placing the Shah of Iran. We were involved in the overthrow of a democratically elected leader in Iran. That was the front end of a whole series of things that continue to take place in Iran to this day. But we've done the very same thing in places like Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, the Philippines, Indonesia, most of Central America, all of South America. And the problem is we have absolute objective proof that that's the case. And the reason that we like dictatorships is that what we really like is stability. And what dictatorships bring is stability. Frequently, the reason we want it most is that it's great for business. 
we know where we're going, we know what happens, and we can control that. Of course, the problem with that is this, is that stability comes at a cost, and frequently that cost is humanitarian because what you get is the ability to ratchet down. You can ratchet down an entire society, but the problem that comes from that is you have an underlying buildup and a pressure that continues to push outward. Frankly, I would argue that if we look at the likes of Al-Qaeda, you look at other organizations, ISIS, you can look at ones before that, the Mujahideen who rose up for different reasons, they all come up because they're pushing back against regimes that are crushing them from the top down. We're supportive of those regimes that crush from the top down. So there is a cost, and that is a piece of it. It's very macro, but it's very true. Which brings us to today and Donald Trump, because Donald Trump, as we're talking about, is trying to stabilizing things. Donald Trump is probably the most unstabilizing force in the sense that he likes to do his foreign policy, keeping people guessing. But then we start dealing with a dictator in North Korea, and we're trying to, obviously, our, the whole idea of policy here is to be stable. Is there a deal that can be cut in North Korea that makes things stable, that works kind of with this whole thing that we've been talking about, the U.S. looks for stability in the, in, in the world? Well, this has been a fight that's been going on for a long time. And, and, and this issue, as an example, if we look at it in a very big picture sense, is absolutely not a left or right position because the effort has been relatively consistent in terms of what the U.S. has tried to do back in the 90s. I can look at 2003 under President Bush, 2005, 2006 or 7, and even 9 to 11 under President Obama. And there were efforts to try to address this issue. But one of the problems that we face in North Korea, in my opinion, is that it's an untenable one. We have placed ourselves in such a way, because of what we're doing right now, that this will not resolve. It simply won't. There may be some agreement in the short term. There may be some negotiation in the short term. But one of the problems that we have is this, and you and I have spoken about this several times, is that if you look at Kim Jong-un and you look at Kim Jong-un's father, Kim Jong-un's grandfather, one of the issues that they all have had to face is external threats. And those external threats are very, very real. They're frankly more real now than probably ever. At the same time, they have an internal threat. They're having to make sure that they don't have anybody rising up from within their own ranks, including their own family. In fact, Un's killed several people himself, but uh, of, of his own family, I mean, but also from others within their own society. And so as a result, he walks this razor-thin line. The problem that we see right now is this, is that if you look back at what the United States, this isn't just Trump, this is everybody, What the U.S. did, and in fact John Bolton, his national security advisor, has said this is the path they want to go down, which is the Libyan model. And what the Libyan model was, was the U.S. negotiating with Muammar Gaddafi, ultimately to give up his nuclear program, which he did. And in in return, he received a lot of essentially money and other acknowledgement around the world. But then what the U.S. did was, with the support of Europeans, supported his enemies. As a result, they provided air cover, amongst other things, Muammar Gaddafi was killed in a ditch in southern Libya. The fact is, is that Kim Jong-un knows that. He knows that if he negotiates with the U.S., the problem is, is they can make all kinds of promises to him, but once he loses those weapons, if they're actually gone from his own country, he does not get them back, and he doesn't trust the U.S. And I'll be honest, if I were him, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't trust what they said because of the Gaddafi question, but also because of the negotiated issue that's going on right now with the Iranians. The Russians, the Chinese, the French, the Brits, the Americans were all involved in this agreement with the Iranians. And right now, President Trump wants to blow that very agreement up, even though we agreed to it. So the problem is, if I'm Kim Jong-un, I don't care what the president promises me, because I know that tomorrow, once my weapons are gone, he can do anything he wants. And by the way, you remove every nuclear weapon from the Korean Peninsula? Very simply, you can destroy North Korea from North Dakota. You can destroy North Korea from a nuclear sub. You can destroy North Korea with a bomber. You can do that. So the idea that he's going to somehow negotiate this away with somebody that he doesn't trust, let alone a whole lot of other people don't trust, I think is unlikely at best, sadly. 
So that's a lot, isn't it? That, that's a lot. That's a lot. But I mean, it's, if, listening to you, all the optimism about solving North Korea, if, that's, if this is how you solve it, seems to be too much. If Donald Trump were able to get what we're talking about, we get the nuclear weapons out of North Korea. Is he the guy who gets the Nobel Peace Prize? We've talked about this before, but I mean, really, really. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. He's that guy. Come yeah. on. Come on. Let, let's think about President Obama. Look what he got a Nobel Peace Prize for. He gave a couple of speeches. Mm-hmm. He wasn't even president when he was essentially getting those. He started talking about a different view of the world. This idea of looking at what we could do and what we aspired to be. And that was incredibly glorious in a sense. But if you think about what it is that President Trump could do if he were successful, this does take me back to what President Uh, uh, President Carter did Mm -hmm. with the Israelis and the Egyptians. And so if you think about that ability, if he's able to do something that nobody else could do, could this be Nixon opening up China? Mm -hmm. I I don't know. But if he is able to do this, I mean, it's going (laughs) to kill the Democrats. It's going to kill them. But you can't deny that that would be an astounding success. Let's, let's talk about the political implications <laughs> about, of that. Sorry, I'm still, I'm still I, sort of I, thinking I, about what that means. I, I know, I know. And I think, listening to you, you believe that is still a very, very long shot that that's going to happen. Kim Jong-un is going to hold on to his nuclear weapons like Charlton Heston holds on to a flintlock. It's never going away. He's never going to let go. Okay. Where we are right now with Donald Trump and the impending, the looming 2018 election... Everybody keeps talking about a blue wave, a blue wave because of you name it. You know, Donald Trump has got a, uh, a White House that is essentially insane. They're, they're throwing out administration officials more often than I take out the trash. OK, uh, it's just a matter of what is going to happen today. That's going to be the next scandal that lights it on fire. You need a spreadsheet to keep track of these things. Congress has been tied to this. The Republican Congress has been tied to this immensely. Some people are sticking with them. Some people are walking away. Do we have a blue wave coming here in 2018 because of this and other reasons? If we look at this nationally and we can look at this over time, what we have seen regularly is that shift. So when you had a democratically elected president, you frequently would would see a red red wave. Mm -hmm. And that simply happens sometimes. I think what we have right now is a question on exactly what the electorate's going to do. And, and what we have to determine is just how motivated the right's going to be to actually show up. I, I've talked to a lot of very dear friends of mine who are conservatives, who are Republicans, and I mean traditional Republicans in that sense, who are embarrassed about where we are right now. Mm-hmm. I've also have friends of mine who are, uh, they're Trumpists. I mean, they, they believe this. They think that this guy is the savior. He really is what's going to make the difference for the Republican Party and, frankly, for the United States. But in general, the real question is whether or not they're going to show up. At the same time, I can tell you, in my lifetime, I don't think I've ever seen the left, the Democrats, the liberals, this angry. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this. And if, if they're willing to show up in the numbers that they could, they could dominate. Because we have to think about what's going to happen here. You're going to get a third of the, of the uh, House seats are up for re-election. Now, the only thing that can change that, even if the numbers do swing the left's way, the Democrats' way, the only thing that really is out there is what we have seen is the success of legislatures across the country to gerrymand mm-hmm. the, the various uh, elections and their ability to manipulate seats and, and the populace. The U.S. Supreme Court has come down on at least three different states and what those states have done, Wisconsin being one, but there's a lot of others. And this has happened across the country. So the question may be is you may see more liberals, more Democrats actually appear, but it may not be enough to overcome that question. We'll see. You know, the polls and polls are worth what they are these days. Because yeah, remember the polls regarding uh, Hillary Clinton in 2016? And 2016. Yes. Oh, excuse me, and, and Donald Trump. Uh, yes, and uh, the polls have been showing Donald Trump obviously being very underwater in terms of popularity, most unpopular president uh, when he actually took office. 
It's been ticking up, though, recently. I, and I don't know if that's because people have just been saying what's happening in the White House. You know, I guess that's normal now that we have all these scandals and I kind of like him or I kind of like that North Korea may, you know, we may we may have success in North Korea. Could Donald Trump actually improve his ratings far enough by November that he is an asset as opposed to a liability to the Republicans? Yes, I, I think he could. What this takes me back to is uh, conversations I've had with Russians, and not just Russians. I, I've talked to Europeans. I've talked to Southeast Asians. And there are some, and there are many in the United States, that look at it this way. They like winners. It is that simple. They like winners. And they like people with bravado who walk with authority mm-hmm. and carry a proverbial big stick. And in a case like this, if he can win, if he can get what it is he says he can get, guess what? That brings clout. So the potential is if things go well for him, he has the ability to come back. But what we are also seeing right now is a, is a lot of Republicans who are out there who are enormously quiet. I mean, you really can hear crickets because if you look at philosophically where they come from, Many of them, and in fact, what we're seeing right now is a historic number of Republicans who are retiring. We've never seen anything like this because what we're seeing is the traditional Republican, the traditional conservative simply doesn't run, uh, run consistent with this new, this new Trump approach, which is not a traditional conservative, typically fiscally conservative Republican. It's something altogether different. And then, of course, with the ongoing headlines again and again and again of what he did do versus what he didn't do, what, who he paid versus who he didn't pay, uh, all of that is one of the things that can chip away at some of those uh, more religious conservatives, although they've been providing some of the most and consistent and deepest support for the president, which makes me scratch my head. Here in Minnesota in 2018, we have got an immense list of, uh, of races. I mean, uh, we have two Senate races, two Senate races because Al Franken resigned. We have several open seats. We have several seats that are being contested. We have, uh, I'm looking at that and saying we have, we have four seats that are really in play here in Minnesota. We've, uh, in the House, we have two Senate seats. One of them, I think, is absolutely safe. The other one, I'm not so sure of. And then we have at the, really at the top of the ticket here in Minnesota, the governor's race, which if the Republicans were to take and they were to hang on to their majorities that they have right now would give them complete control of Minnesota government for the first time in I don't know how long, decades. How do you see what was playing out here nationally impacting what's going on in Minnesota? I think it reflects the same here. What's really interesting is looking at Minnesota, there is this this very traditional, historically liberal viewpoint. I mean, if you look at the people in general who, who founded the state, this is where they come from. This is why we were the bastion of this. And that really has shifted over time. I, I think the real question now, just like the rest of the, of the United States, is exactly who's going to show up for this. There are people beating the drum for the for the left and and for the right here but i think there's a lot of republicans who are sitting back and there and there's a fight there's a debate within the republican party right now of who they are they are somewhat schizophrenic i understand the left can be that too so so don't think that i'm just beating on the republicans here the republicans themselves are schizophrenic in that they have to figure out exactly who they are because in fact they are either the historically consistent conservative party that they have been in many ways, and they're looking back rather than looking forward, or they're something else. The idea of draining the swamp, the idea of blowing up the system is frankly an anathema to what we, what we have seen for the traditional Republican. You can't be both, because I don't think it particularly works, because you're going to see two different prongs of the party collide about where the party is going. That may be a very real problem, because the people who vote, They'll look at both sides of that and say, yeah, I, I don't know. And if they keep their heads down and don't show up, that blue wave could roll straight across Minnesota, too. You're listening to an interview I recorded with Jack Rice for the May edition of Democratic Visions on Southwest Community Television. We're going to take a break. But when we get back, Jack and I talk about Minnesota's U.S. Senate race and the looming primary on the DFL side. It's the Mike McEntee Show on AM 950. 
Hello, this is Ralph Nader, host of the Ralph Nader Radio Hour. Join me and my guests every week when we dive deeply into the subjects that matter to you the most, but are rarely on the mass media. Every Sunday for early birds at 7 a.m. and Monday at 6 a.m. And if you're not an early bird, 9 p.m. on Monday, right here on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Hi, this is Matt from the Green Home Doctors. Do your ceilings show signs of unwanted moisture? Is your home warmer than you want? This means your insulation needs a tune-up and you're leaking expensive air conditioning in the summer. Green Home Doctors analyze your home with specialized equipment and prescribe a remedy that will save you money and save you energy, no matter what the season. Take advantage of rebates from Excel Energy and Centerpoint Energy and make your home healthier today. Visit GreenHomeDR.com. Introducing a breakthrough in time management technology. A whole new day of the week. It's called Someday. Ingenious. Perhaps someday you are going to go skydiving. Enter a hot dog eating contest. Maybe ride a mechanical bull. Now it's on the calendar. You may want to retire someday. Ready for that? You'll really want this. A My Social Security account at socialsecurity.gov. You can estimate your future benefits, plan for your retirement, and how to save for it. If you already receive benefits, you can manage them online. Millions of people already have a My Social Security account. In fact, someone opens one about every six seconds. Get yours today, because someday is here at socialsecurity.gov. While I'm pregnant, I can keep our baby safe by not drinking, smoking, or using drugs. But how are we going to keep her safe after she's born? When I grow up, I look forward to dancing in powwows, going to college, and being successful. But I don't want to be one out of three American Indian women to be raped or sexually assaulted in her lifetime. As relatives and friends of Native women, it is our responsibility to stand up and speak out for every woman's right to be safe in her home and the community. Sponsored by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Psst, it's me, your heart. High blood pressure is serious, and if you think I'm just going to keep ticking away, you're wrong. I can quit whenever I want, but I like my job. Just treat me better. Maybe we can do some exercise on occasion. After all, we're in this together. Don't let your heart quit on you. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get yours to a healthy range before it's too late. Find out how at heart.org slash blood pressure. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. This is AM 950, KTNF, St. Louis Park, Minneapolis, St. Paul. The progressive voice of Minnesota. Welcome back to the Mike McEntee Show. Frequent contributor to this program, Jack Rice, and I recently sat down to record a TV interview for Southwest Community Television's Democratic Visions. I wanted Jack's thoughts on what suddenly become a very hotly contested race in Minnesota. In the Minnesota Senate race for the special election, Al Franken's seat, that uh, Senator Tina Smith is the, uh, is the one who's been appointed to that. There seems to be a similar dynamic right now. Richard Painter, who has been a Republican up until the day that he announced he is running for a, the DFL endorsement or the DFL primary, because he's not going to go for the endorsement. He's going to go right for the primary, although he said, heck, if they give me the endorsement, I'm fine with that. <laughs> he's made his mark by being anti, anti-Trump, anti, uh, anti-big business on, on the range. He, he tries to paint that Tina Smith is the person who is supporting uh, the, the mining interests on the range and that he says we should be supporting the environment. I, I watch people who, who have been listening to him on Facebook and going, yeah, those are democratic values. We're heading to a primary. Tina Smith's got, you know, the party essentially behind her, the big money, I would say, of the party. And you've got this guy who is a Republican. I want your take. Doesn't it sound just a little bit like the last presidential election for the left? Yes. It kind of does, doesn't it? it? It is exactly that. And and, and Richard and I have done a lot of TV work together, and, and we've, we've talked personally about various issues. He's a fascinating guy. He was the ethics lawyer for President Bush. Mm-hmm. He was that guy. And so he comes out swinging against Trump, and the perception along the way is that he seems and he feels. I'm not saying people can decide what he is, but, but he feels 
like an independent. Like he's maybe not a Democrat, maybe not a Republican exactly, but he's this guy that's sort of bigger than all, bigger than more than that. And I think in a society right now where you're looking at what Donald Trump is doing, what the Republicans are doing, that can be very um, interesting to a lot of people and attractive even. I, I look at this race and I think since Richard Painter got in, it's been a very, very short time, just what I'm reading, people seem to know more about his positions right now than they do Tina Smith. I, mean, I think done, they do. He's, he's done a very good job of quickly branding himself. Oh, well, see, one of the things about Richard that is impressive, and I'm not even talking about content here, but his ability to articulate ideas. He's really good at certain things, and he has a, an enormous social media presence. So his, his appearances, lots of them on NBC, CNN, and elsewhere, he's funny. And you watch him, and you can't kind of help but laugh because he can jab. So a lot of people follow him. He has millions of followers. Mm-hmm. Same thing on Facebook, same thing on Twitter. All of those things are true. And so what happens is he has this huge presence. He can say something, and there will be 50,000 people in Minnesota who know it within 10 minutes. Whereas Tina Smith doesn't have that same connection. She may have the support of the party, the party leadership. That doesn't mean she has the people on the street. Now, just because you have people following you and laughing when, they, when you're on TV doesn't mean people are going to show up and vote for you either. So I think, you know, the question is, is, is there a happy medium? Is, which direction does it go? Which one can articulate the best position? Which one can actually win? And maybe that's the bigger question. I think for a lot of Democrats right now, it's, that's, that is the question. But the other question is they're skeptical. They're skeptical that a guy who's had an R next to his name in various forms for many years is now going to be the standard bearer of the DFL party. You mean that guy who's president, he used to have a D in front of his yeah, name? Yeah, I know. that guy? I, yeah, that, no, we're talking about Richard Payne. Oh, no, different guy. Different guy, I right. Okay. But, yeah, this, it's that dynamic. And can Democrats buy into that? Because I've seen a lot of people, uh, again, uh, uh, the comments on Facebook saying, I just can't. I just can't. I just can't. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that that will be the question. Will that have an impact? You know what? If one in ten said that, who are actually going to go to the polls, that could sink him. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe there is a credibility question where he's going to have to be able to come back and say more than just the, the five-second soundbite about what he thinks. Maybe that's necessary. I don't, I don't really know yet mm-hmm. because I don't think anybody knows. I mean, at this point, what we're seeing is something we've never seen before. This is an environment that is, is nothing like what we saw in 2016. This is nothing like we saw during the wave of, of uh, the conservatives with the likes of Newt Gingrich even. You, you go back a lot further, ago, further than that. This is a different animal because we have somebody in the White House that is like, like nobody we have ever, ever seen. And he can do and say something that may be magnificent for the Republicans one day, and the next day he's hiring porn stars. Sorry, Mom. So given everything we've talked about with Richard Painter and Tina Smith, would it be wise for Tina Smith to do what Richard Painter wants right now, which is to debate him? You know, my concern, if I were Tina Smith, is that, is that he, Richard Painter is good. I mean, he's really good in a spot. He's good on his feet. He knows how to speak. I think probably if I'm in the lead, I think it's a polling question. If, if I'm 10 points up and I think I can walk without that issue... Why would I expose myself? The potential is if you have something like that and he decimates you, he could walk away with it. So if you don't have to, why would you expose yourself? That's the question. And that's the political side. There's the other side of this, of course, right, that says that it's not just about that. It's about motivating the base. It's about standing up, believing in what you believe, and saying what it is that you believe. Because it's not just about getting the primary. It's about getting those very same people to actually show up for the election. And one of the ways that you do that is that you motivate them. And you motivate them by actually being out on TV and being in places where they can see you. So you can say, this is what I believe, this is what's going wrong with the country, and this is where we need to go. If she can't articulate that, there's going to be a lot of people who will say, well, who the hell is she? So it sounds like you're saying Tina Smith cannot employ what's called the Rose Garden strategy and just be the candidate but not engaging the other side. 
unless, unless her numbers are huge and she can win anyway with, with numbers by nobody knowing who she is, you know what? In a world right now where, where media has power and words have power in a way we probably haven't seen in a very long time, she may have to engage. She may have no choice. But if she doesn't have to, Richard's not necessarily a guy I would cross swords with. And on that note, we've got to leave it. But uh, Jack, so much, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank, for your, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Now, you can watch the entire interview on Southwest Community TV. Just look for Democratic Visions in your program guide or search for it on YouTube. Well, up next on the Mike McEntee Show, a video app that's a reaction to the shooting of Philando Castile. I'll talk to the app's inventor, who is just rolling it out, and he says while it's targeted to the black community, white allies will want to check it out as well. That's all next after this week's Art Beat. This is Art Beat for the Week. I'm Lori Fitz from Connections Radio Show, and today I'm suggesting you go and see Sidekick Theater's current production, from Ava to Eternity. This is a new musical created and performed by Brian Peekle and directed by Twin Cities artistic treasure, Ray Burke. From Ava to Eternity is a full-length dramatic musical. We get to know Francis Albert Sinatra, who's just another kid from Hoboken who wants to make it big and become a star. Watch as he finds out just how rough a path lies in front of him. Experience his professional rise and fall from grace his tempestuous romance with Ava Gardner, and his triumphant Oscar-winning career turnaround from here to eternity. This is a brand new production, and it's accompanied by the sounds of an onstage orchestra. The show features hits including I've Got the World on a String, All of Me, and New York, New York. This story will illuminate the complex psyche behind the piercing blue eyes and unforgettable voice of Frank Sinatra. Brian Peekle, who created the show, plays Frank Sinatra himself. Peekle has made a lively career out of many facets in the performing arts, including as an actor, musical director, playwright, composer, multi-instrumentalist, and vocalist. Tyus Beeson plays Harry James. Emily DeSalt plays Nancy Sinatra. Tara Schaefel plays Ava Gardner. And M. Scott Tolman plays Tommy Dorsey. From Ava to Eternity plays at the Ives Auditorium, located at 11411 Masonic Home Drive in Bloomington. There are performances tonight, May 11th at 7.30, Sunday, May 13th at 1 p.m. This show is celebrated with a Mother's Day brunch. This is a fabulous way to celebrate mom. Take her to see Old Blue Eyes in a show from Ava to Eternity. And show her she's the greatest by purchasing the champagne brunch at the special show package. Other performances include Wednesday, May 16th at 1 p.m., Friday, May 18th at 7.30, Wednesday, May 23rd at 1, and Thursday, May 24th at 1. For more information on or how to get tickets, go to SidekickTheater.com backslash Sinatra. That's SidekickTheater.com backslash Sinatra. That's Art Beat for the Week. I'm Lori Fitz from Connections Radio Show. Airing live Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. here on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Dad, this is fun. I didn't think I liked kayaking. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it, but I think it's time to head back in. Okay. Can we come back? Sure. Hey, be careful getting out of the boat. It's a kayak, Dad. <laughs> I'm going to return the kayak. Can we walk home? How about a taxi? It's a short fare from your neighborhood to your naturehood. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a neighborhood park or green space near you. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the U.S. Forest Service. Hey, Minnesota, Norman Goldman here. Catch me live every weeknight from 5 to 8 p.m. right here on AM 950. Whether it's a recap of the day's news, legal analysis, or teaching civics, justice is always served on the Norman Goldman Show. Today on the show, I have a rare day off. Dick Kay is sitting in for me live from the studios of WCPT. Francis and I are going to the East because my nephew is graduating college. It's a wonderful thing. I'll see you on Monday. Enjoy Dick Kay and have a great weekend. Hundreds of thousands of veterans have taken off their uniforms and put them away, carefully packed and safely stowed. But for some veterans, the uniform isn't so easily removed. The emotions experienced while serving continue to weigh on them. Life after service is different. 
Many veterans find transitioning difficult and daily life is no longer as enjoyable as it once was. Some feel overwhelmed and lost. But that uncertainty doesn't take away from their strength and courage, nor does it take away from the sense of duty veterans carry with them. The transition from service is different for everyone. If you are a veteran going through a difficult time or no one who is, the power of one person, one connection, one act of compassion can make a difference. For free 24-7 confidential support, call the Veterans Crisis Line at 1-800-273-8255 and press 1 or visit VeteransCrisisLine.net. Welcome back to the Mike McEntee Show. Thanks to cell phone video, we're seeing more and more what was once invisible to many Americans, how police sometimes harass people, or worse, because of the color of their skin. Having that video is not only useful to get to the truth of what happens, but can also provide some safety from the police. Recognizing that, a St. Paul man, Mondo Davison, has created an app that will make it more likely that these types of interactions get recorded. Mondo, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be on today. Good to have you on here. So tell me, where did the idea for this uh, app come from, and tell us how it works. Yeah, so it's actually kind of like a two-part story. Uh, real quick, I've been in plenty of situations where like, being pulled over late at night was not something I was super comfortable with. And one of the times I was on the freeway at about 3 a.m. in the morning, and I was like, I'm not going to stop on this freeway with nobody out here. And ended up like driving up a few exits, um, just hoping at the exit that I was at, somebody was going to walk by. Um, and in that moment, I was just like, hmm, there might be an app for that to kind of facilitate that type of interaction instead of it happening by chance. And then shortly thereafter, unfortunately, the death of Philando Castile hit uh, St. Paul pretty hard. And that really forced me to like move forward on it and make sure that I put a lot of effort into to building it out. So... Um, how does it work then? You push a button and other people show up. What's what's the idea here? Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Um, yeah, so essentially, like we want people that use it to be hands off as possible. So think about being pulled over, and you just open up the app and just click the red button. Once you click the red button, you notify your emergency contacts. That's mom, dad, spouse, whoever. When you first downloaded the app, and then you also notify people within a half a mile radius to kind of come record and witness what's going on from, you know, a safe distance away and just a way for the community to help police the police is our idea. Now, I I want to point out some things for people here. You are a person of color, and when you are pulled over, you're not treated the same as other people. Uh, Can you speak to that, how how you've seen that in the past? Um, You know, for me, I, I think it's, there's this, there's this internal fear, uh, I believe, like, black people, especially myself, are scared of cops because historically there have been some, some unfortunate situations. And then I feel like cops are oftentimes scared of black men. And whether it's conscious or unconscious, I think that fear is there. Um, so we just had to, we had to figure out a way to, to kind of solve these issues, and we're hoping our app does that. Um, one was that immediate uh, kind of sense of help from the community but also what happens after the incident. So the one thing that I did leave out was after the incident is over, uh, what we do is we fill out a safety check. It's within the app. So the people that came and the person that triggered it fills out information like, hey, I felt safe or unsafe or verbally abused or physically abused, and we're able to log in that information from whoever that cop or department is. So we can kind of gather some data and see, like, what cops are actually awesome because you do have the opportunity to upvote officers and what cops are, like, unfit. And you see that trend like, man, this person's getting a bad review from the community every time they pull somebody over. And our goal is to essentially like catch things before they happen, right? Catch the, mm-hmm. the, the bad things before they get worse. Um, and we're hoping our tool does that. So you've had this out for how long and what's the reaction been to it? Yeah, so we just really rolled out to the community uh, May 1st. And it, it's been quite interesting, you know, people of color it and they say, oh, man, this is amazing. This is something we really need in our community, and let's rally around it. Um, then there's been some some other people that have not been so happy about it, and a lot of those have been, uh, I would say, right-leaning uh, white males that, that think it's, it's dangerous to law enforcement where 
were kind of confused because we're just saying like, hey, we want the community to come and record with their cell phones and it's not being being received well by, by that side of the aisle. Yeah, I I think I saw a quote from uh, Bob Kroll, who is the uh, the union head of the police in Minneapolis. I don't think he was thought that this was that useful. He thought that you know this just made would make things worse. Do you, do you think that pulling out a cell phone here helps de de escalate the situation? So you know, the way that I look at it is this is a awesome opportunity for cops to shine a light on the good work that they're doing if they're actually doing the good work. You know, I had conversations with law enforcement and say like, hey, did you know that 99% of all traffic stops in without any physical force? I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Well, to me, then that means we have all these people going to these interactions and recording the officers being awesome if it's really a 99% success rate. And I think that might reshape the narrative. Um, so I don't really know, like, why there's all this this pushback, because it would be the community essentially saying, like, oh, man, you know what? Maybe our perspective of the cops was actually a little wrong, and you guys are doing a good job. Or it's going to say, hey, this guy or that gal needs to go because they're not, they're not supporting the community the way they should. I mean, we tend to see these things when things go bad. Uh, just today, there's two videos that are floating around. There's uh, one from uh, Rialto, California. It's uh, a police being called to an Airbnb because the people leaving it were black and they didn't wave at the neighbors. And then there's a, a, a black Yale student being interrogated by police after falling asleep in her dorm room because another student doesn't mm-hmm. think she belongs there. She records the entire thing on her cell phone. This stuff happens all the time, and we tend to see it when things don't go well. You're talking about here that things we might see things when things go right. It, does the video get posted up, or is it just aggregate data? How how do we tell that things are going right? Yeah, so what we do is we keep a dashboard, right? So what we're trying to do is we're trying to build, and this dashboard is visible to every community um, where Safe spaces is, is part of. But essentially, this dashboard breaks down all the data that is submitted by the community, so that's based on, you know, the feedback of if they felt safe or unsafe. It's the race of the person that was pulled over. It's, you know, nuanced descriptions of like, hey, I felt safe because the officer had their hand on their gun the whole time, where it wasn't really maybe an intentional threat, but it's like something that made people feel uncomfortable. But then if everybody in the community is like, actually, the interaction was safe, we'll be pushing out that data at the end of every month, kind of showcasing like, hey, St. Paul Police Department was actually awesome, you know, 99% safe rating uh, based on the feedback from the community. So I don't know what the data is going to be. I'm just saying, like, the assumption from many people of color is it's going to be horrible because what we see on social media and on TV is something bad all the time. But the opposite side is saying, hey, those are just independent issues and it's not a representation of law enforcement in general. And they're saying that it actually doesn't happen often. So safe space is that independent tool that really gets the voice from the community to, like, confirm, are they awesome or are they not so awesome? Now, this obviously, this app is aimed at people of color, but uh, most listeners to our show don't fit that profile. Um, Do you want them to download it, too, to be the responders who come and uh, get their cell phones out when the police start, uh, when the police pull somebody over? Absolutely. We, we, uh, anybody on our platform, we call them allies. Um, so from white all the way to black and everybody in between, like download this app and just be a supporter of, you know, the fight against police brutality. I want to make sure that if I am in Woodbury and I get pulled over and I'm in a neighborhood that is not filled with people that look like me, that mm-hmm. one of my white allies is going to have the app inside their house and they're going to walk out and record what's going on. So, we highly encourage everybody, if you support this mission for more safer communities and like in more equitable policing, like please download this app and support us. Now, this is an app that, you know, you really hope you never have to use or nobody has to use. But are there documented cases here in the in just the week that you've had it out that people have actually used it? No, no, we haven't gotten there yet. What we're trying to do right now is really get that hit that tipping point where the awareness is really there. We're trying to do a really good job of making sure that the community is aware that, hey, the app is actually here now. And one of our biggest barriers right now is actually only having uh, this app on iOS or on iPhones. 
Um, so that's kind of why we have this Indiegogo campaign right now, so we can reach a certain threshold, so we can start building out the Android model. Uh, so one thing that we learned is like, hey, a lot of people want to use it, but like, I don't have an Android. I mean, I don't have an iPhone. I have an Android. So where's the app for us? Uh, so that's like our next big milestone. Like, how do we build that out to make sure everybody can download it that needs it? Tell us about the Indiegogo campaign because you got people listening who are, you know, philanthropic. They want to help out these things. Tell us uh, how people can get involved in that. Yeah, so the, the easiest way to get to our Indiegogo is just to go to our website, which is safespaceapp.com, and we coined it a million dollar mission. Um, and our million-dollar mission is essentially, one, we need to build out that Android app. Two, we want to add some extra features that people are really asking for. And probably the number two features uh, that people are really asking for is, one, is there a way to voice activate um, so they don't even have to grab their phone in the first place? Mm-hmm. And then, two, an ability to like stream the voice recording to their emergency contacts. So say if I get pulled over and my dad's my emergency contact, but for the next 10 minutes he's kind of in the dark. He knows that I got pulled over, but he doesn't know what's happening. So, like, how do we stream that audio to him, like, in real time? Uh, So those are the two features we want to build in. And then three, part of that million-dollar mission is uh, helping us fund uh, rolling out in other other ecosystems in other cities. Um, It was great that we have it here in St. Paul and Minneapolis, but there's a lot of things happening around the country, like you noted, uh, that could could definitely use our service as well. Yeah, I can see where the voice-activated thing would be absolutely top of the list because as we know uh i think uh, philando castile was shot just for reaching for his wallet if you're reaching for your phone somebody could make you know the the same it you know the same circumstances could play out so i could see where people would really really want that that would be an awesome addition to something like this i gotta ask you when when you when we talk about what's changed here really in the last 10 years with videos and phones how how powerful has video been in flipping the dynamic with the police? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, honestly, I think, I don't want to say it's the great equalizer. I just think it, it's opened up the eyes of a lot of people. I don't necessarily even know if the data suggests that these unfortunate situations are increasing. It's just showing that, hey, they're being documented more, right? Mm-hmm. And then with the advent of social media, where if something happens Right now, everybody in the country could know in, you know, two hours. Um, it's, it's just this, it, it's been a change maker is kind of the best way I can put it. And we're hoping that we can use safe space as a way to kind of maximize that change and expedite that change and have communities rally around something that's actually something they can systematically use. And, you know, we just want to change the world. I, I always say, like, safe space is here to save lives, and that's really our goal. Like we want to make sure that families across the country are not sad because they lost a loved one to police brutality. That's just insane, and it should not happen. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good mission. We just want to change the world. Just that. We just want to change the world, and we want to save <laughs> lives. I think you do that, it's a, that's a pretty good day, I think. I think that's an absolutely You're great right, day. right, right, right. Uh, folks, we've been talking with Mondo Davison. His app is called Safe Space. You can find it at safespaceapp.com. Take a look at it. Uh, as he said, it's not just for people of color. It's for allies as well. So, hey, Mondo, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Man, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, and, uh, and hopefully you can save some more lives. Okay, we're going to take a break here on the Mike McIntyre Show. We'll be back in just a couple minutes. You're listening to AM 950 Radio. Hi, this is Matt from the Green Home Doctors. Did you know approximately 80% of our homes in our area are not sealed and insulated properly? A typical home has air leakage equivalent to that of a large open window. Green Home Doctors has treated thousands of homes with our special diagnostic equipment and can prescribe the appropriate remedy for your house. Stop air conditioning your whole neighborhood this summer. Call today and take advantage of rebates from Excel Energy and Centerpoint Energy. Visit greenhomedr.com. Hello, humans. This is me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 on Monday mornings at 7.30. This Monday, I'll talk about Dr. Megan Coffey, who interrupted a promising medical career to tend to the poorest of the poor in Haiti following the 2010 earthquake that killed 160,000. 
but you won't find a Wikipedia page about this idealist. She's the most modest, under-the-radar person I've highlighted thus far in my shows. Ellie 2.0 on AM 950. It's a great day for a bike ride. What's that? You can't find your bike? Oh, it has a flat. No problem. Take it to Nakomis Cycle, the hardest-working bike shop in town. They're celebrating their 23rd year in business. In that time, they've mastered the art of friendly, dependable service. So keep life and your bike moving with Nakomis Cycle, working harder to make you go faster. Nakomis Cycle at the corner of 46th and Bloomington Avenue South in Minneapolis or at NakomisCycle.com. Well, here we are again, and i got to tell you, Jim, this match has me really concerned. That's right, Ron. In one corner, we have a powerful heavyweight, a train, weighing in at a whopping 6,000 tons. And in the other, this hasty lightweight challenger, a car at just one and a half tons. This does not bode well for the car or the people in it. Ron, this is one of those rare moments where I actually find myself at a loss for words. This driver can't think he can beat a train. I can hardly bear to watch. It's no contest. Every day, people are injured or killed trying to beat a train at rail crossings. Trying to beat a train is more dangerous than you think. See tracks, think train. For more safety tips and information, visit SeaTracksThinkTrain.org. How to be a great dad in 15 seconds. Bike ride, go fish, walk in the park, phone call, milkshake, play catch, picnic, fly a kite, tell jokes, laugh, talk, read a story, tell a story, bumper car, swing set, bowling, pillow fight, cut loose, stay tight. Because the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Hey, welcome back to the show. And that, that is it. That's all the time we have for today. A special thank you to Brett Johnson, Eric Nelson, for doing the engineering on the show this week. Uh, we will be back on Monday. And, uh, you know, as always, you know, go over to the uptake.org if you have a moment to check out what's happening with the special set, not special session, the legislature, the legislature, it's not going to go into special session. Check out the legislature, the live streaming that's going on. We only got a few days left of it. And as always, you know, if you can help us out with that live streaming, uh, donations are always appreciated over at the uptake.org. I'm Mike McEntee. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday.